Do you have time for life everlasting? Do you have time for life everlasting? Well, there's no time like the present. Jesus at the beginning of his ministry said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Those were the very first words of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. The time is fulfilled. A definite time has come and it is completed. It is finished. What time? And the kingdom of God is at hand. It's kingdom time. And Jesus at his birth ushered in a new era. He ushered in the kingdom of God. He was born of the Virgin Mary. It was a time for a king to come. It was time for a king to die, to suffer under Pontius Pilate. And to die, he was crucified, dead, and buried. Good Friday was the time set apart to satisfy God's justice, a time to satisfy and forgive sins. And because Good Friday gives way to Easter, it was time for a new life. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And with the empty tomb comes a time of change. It's time to change. And the empty tomb changes life. And it changes life in a very unexpected way. The empty tomb changes history. We have a new history. Therefore, we have a new future and we have hope. And this change is unexpected. Now, before the resurrection, the law had things ordered rightly. The law had everything ordered just the way it should be. The law orders life, sets everyone on the right path. Straight to hell. For cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. And that's life with the law, everything as it should be. So it is appointed after death. It is appointed for every man to die. Hebrews says it is appointed for every man to die. And after this, the judgment, when the law will stand in God's hand and God will judge this world in righteousness. And the law will condemn everything rightly ordered as it should be. You know, death is a reality, as the saying goes, when it's my time, we say that, right? When it's my time, it's my time. Makes sense. We get it. We understand. We understand that our time, this world, is death. Makes sense. This world is death. But then there's this empty tomb that we have to deal with. And this empty tomb has turned everything upside down. So now in the place of mourning death, the psalmist says, the Lord Yahweh delights in the death of his saints. Yahweh delights in the death of his saints. Now instead of death being a great loss, 
Death is gain. It's victory. Christ rose from the dead and there's a new order of things. Things are upside down. They're not as they should be. And now death gives life. And now time for death to bring with it the power of God's glory. In the death of Christ, it's now time to truly live. Do you have time for this? Do you have time for life eternal? Now Mark's gospel ends contrasting two types of people. And this two types of people, this contrast changes everything. First, there were the disciples. And the disciples we know, Jesus' disciples were the disciples who followed Jesus his entire life. They were close to Jesus. They were first in line. They were near Christ. But things get turned around at the empty tomb. At the death of Jesus, things are turned around. Now the disciples we will see in this text, they're far from Jesus. Now the disciples are far from Jesus and those who were never close to Jesus to begin with, those who were far from Jesus, the last, in this narrative, they're now first. They're closer. It's very interesting. Matter of fact, a Sadducee, one of the leaders of the council that condemned Jesus is the first person in the Bible, to do what Jesus commands in the Lord's Supper, take my body. It is given for you. And so it's a new day. Things have changed, and the last are now first, and the first are now last. And so the story begins with the first. Look at your Bibles. Mark chapter 15, verse 40. There were also women. Now these women are the disciples. And they were looking on, and notice the text, it says, from a distance. They were far away. Now, the looking here conveys the idea of spectating. They're not expecting anything in this looking. Rather, they're just watching from a distance. And distance is key in the text. They're far away. Now, compared to this is verse 39, and the centurion. It says, when the centurion who stood facing him saw in this way, that he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. The executioner of Jesus. The executioner. You can't get any further away as a disciple from Jesus than being his executioner. But this executioner saw something in the death of Jesus, there was something revelatory in the way that Christ died that it caused him to come near. There was something revelatory in the death of Christ that changed this man. And he is the first one in Mark's gospel to proclaim, to confess that Jesus is the son of God. Actually, he's the only one in Mark's gospel that says Jesus is the son of God. He's converted, he's changed. The last has become first, and then the women, the first, are now distant. The disciples are far away. They're spectators without hope. They weren't expecting anything, just looking on as Christ died, and there's confusion in their life. There's no confession like the centurion who confessed. They're confused. They're afraid. They're hiding. And where are the apostles in the text? You think about the first, right? The apostles who wrote the Bible, where are they? They're not even here. 
They're so far away, they're not even in the story. They're afraid, they're hiding. Verse 41, when he was in Galilee, and so Paul, or not Paul, excuse me, Mark reminds us that the disciples were the ones who were with Jesus, following him. He says, when he was in Galilee, that is before he died, when he was alive, they followed him and they ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Here are the disciples of Christ. They're with Jesus before he died. They're close. They're near. They're the first. But now these died. They're far away. They're distant. Things have changed. And we don't expect, those we don't expect are near. Verse 42, and when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, the day, that is the day before Sabbath, so the Sabbath is approaching, and if you know your Jewish you know, traditions and the Jewish law and the Torah and so forth, you don't work on the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is coming and Jesus' body needs to be removed without delay. And without delay and without thought to his own well-being, someone we've never met before in the entire gospel of Mark, someone we have never heard of, Joseph of Arimathea. He pops up. Here he is. Who is Joseph of Arimathea? Mark tells us he's a respected member of the council. That's wonderful. He's respected. And the word respected in the Greek means that he was honorable. He was an honored member of this council. But more than honored, this word conveys the idea of power. He was a powerful member of this council. Mark doesn't name the council. Mark doesn't need to name the council. We know this council. It's the only council in scripture. This is the Sanhedrin. This is the council that crucified Jesus. This is the council that condemned. This is the council that judged the son of God condemned him as a sinner, and killed him on the cross. And here's Joseph of Arimathea, a ruling member, a powerful member of the Sanhedrin, an enemy, not a disciple, enemy. But now he's near. You don't get further away from Christ. You don't get last in place of Christ than being part of the Sanhedrin. But it says he took courage. He took courage because he was looking. Now, it's interesting. He was looking. It's the same, you know, we see the same verb, looking. The women were looking. Now, it's a different, it's a different verb in the Greek. Two different words. This looking is not just spectating. This was looking with expectation. He was longing for something in this looking. You see, there was something about the death of Jesus Christ that caused him to change. And the last has become first. And so he took courage and he went and asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus had already died. He died quickly. He asked, is he really dead? Yes, he's dead. Now, the reason that this was bold for Joseph of Arimathea to ask Pilate for this is because in Rome, they didn't just remove the bodies after they died. They left in Rome, in Roman crucifixion, they left the bodies of the crucified to, uh, to rot on the cross. They stayed there for days, for weeks, for months even, to rot on the cross, to show the shame of the crucifixion, the shame of these people. 
and also as a warning to avoid you know, avoid the sins of these people, avoid the crimes of these people. But Joseph goes and he asks for the body quite bold because he doesn't want Jesus to rot. He wants to honor Christ. He wants to remove his body, honor his body with proper burial. So it was courage. Courage that moved him because Christ's death changed his life. Oh, how times have changed. And now this enemy of the cross, the last is first. And Mark is contrasting two types of people, those close to Jesus, including Mark himself as Mark is writing this. Mark is including himself. I was a disciple, but at the death of Christ, I was weak. I was hiding. I was ashamed. But here's those who are last are now strong and near to Christ. What's happening here? The resurrection's happening, and it's a new order of things. And the last are now first. That's the power of the resurrection, friends. And you might be last. You might think, hey, I've always run from the Lord. I don't find myself in church. I come to church, you know, once a year, Sunday. You might be last from the Lord and running from the Lord, but you can know that in the resurrection, you can be near. You can be first, actually. You might have been running from God your whole life long, but the power of the resurrection changes things. That's this day. Do you have time for everlasting life? It takes those whom we least expect. God justifies the wicked. So is there hope for you in the empty tomb? Better believe it. Do you believe that Jesus really died? That's the question. Do you believe that Jesus really died? Verse 44, we know that he died because Pilate was surprised. Pilate says he died. And the centurion says, yes, he's dead. Centurions know dead people. An executioner knows when he's killed somebody. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, there is the word again, he's dead, he granted the corpse to Jesus, or excuse me, to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of a rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So Jesus really died. And Mark goes out of his way to explain. He's dead. even calls his body a corpse. You don't get deader than corpse, right? (laughs) When you're dead, you're a corpse. Jesus died. He really died. And we have all of this evidence of his real death. We have the executioner, yes, he's dead. Pilate, evidence, yes, he's dead. We have the disciples, yes, he's dead. And not only do we have this testimony of the death of Christ, we have extra biblical witnesses to the death of Christ. We have extra biblical witnesses to the death of Christ. The Talmud, you ever heard of the Talmud? It's a Jewish book. The Talmud actually records the death of Jesus and says, yes, this guy died. Jesus 2,000 years ago, yes, he died. We know, we were there. We also have the Toledot. The Toledot is an anti-Christian document. This anti-Christian document says, yes, Jesus died. And it's proven historically with corroborating evidence. So you don't just trust the, the narrative itself, the witness of the Bible. I mean, we do trust the witness of the Bible. It's, it's, it's a valid witness, but we have this 
There's corroborating evidence. And what's nice about corroborating evidence that we have, we actually have hostile witnesses. It's good to have a hostile witness on your side. We have hostile witnesses saying, yes, Jesus died. We also know that Rome was good at killing. Rome knew how to kill. They knew how to kill. They were good at it. And upon the thousands and thousands of crucifixions that we have records of even today, out of all those thousands and thousands of records of crucifixions we have even today, there's not one record mentions everyone, anyone ever surviving a Roman crucifixion. Oh, they knew what they were doing. They knew how to kill. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Now, the fact that women witnessed the resurrection makes it even more probable because back, way back then, in this patriarchal society and so forth, patriarchal society, Jewish opinion from women didn't really carry any weight. It wasn't very positive. So if you're wanting to fabricate a story way back then, you wouldn't use women as the eyewitnesses. You wouldn't say, hey, these women are the eyewitnesses. No, you would want to make yourself, hey, those disciples, we were the eyewitnesses. It's credible. We saw it. But no, the gospel says no, women. It's the women who are the witnesses. So that makes it even more credible to us today. Because where are the men? They're not even in the story. They're all scared. It's the women who are bold. Peter, what was Peter like against the little girl? The little girl undid Peter. I mean, Peter couldn't even confess Jesus Christ to a little child. But then after the resurrection... All the disciples become super bold. They become superheroes. They become supermen as they go out and they preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What gave them this confidence? What gave them this boldness? Are men willing to die for a lie? Especially in the way that the disciples died. Is anyone willing to go and be crucified just like Jesus over a lie? No. It's because it's true. Think of the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul wasn't predisposed, predisposed to believe. Paul was Saul crucifying the church. He was persecuting and putting to death the Christians. He was predisposed to not believe. But something changed, Paul. And we know that what changed. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but in fact, Christ rose from the dead. It's fact. See, I'm not a Christian because I feel that the tomb is empty. I don't feel that it's empty. I know it's empty. Because if you look at the facts, if you have an open mind and you study the science, yes, the science, the history, the probabilities, the only thing that makes sense is that that tomb is empty. These women didn't fight. That stone was large. Women didn't roll away the stone. These women didn't fight a well-armed militia, these centurions. That's basically the Green Berets, right? My money's on Green Berets. What about you? A few women and six Green Berets, that's easy. That's easy pickings. Farmers and fishermen and tax collectors didn't fight them off. 
The disciples were not workers in this text. God's the worker. The disciples are witnesses. God did all the work. The Holy Spirit emptied that tomb, and it was empty. Actually, it wasn't empty. You know, they're going to the, the tomb, and the women are like, who's going to roll away the stone? You know, we got a problem here. Who would roll away? Verse 3, and who's going to do it? We can't do it. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. Whoa, it was very large. Again, more evidence of the fact they didn't do it. It was very large. It was very empty, but not really. Verse 5, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. We know it's an angel. Angel means messenger. Angels bring messages. And he said to them, verse 6, that is, he gave them the good news. He gave them what they needed more in life. He said, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. And that's what they were seeking. They weren't seeking Jesus by faith. They were seeking a dead man. They don't have faith in that empty tomb. The angel says, yeah, you're seeking the man who's crucified. But then he spoke to them the gospel. He is risen. He is not here. He's not here. You see, the Lord had sent these weak and faithless disciples what they needed more than life itself, a preacher. (laughs) And he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they believe. For faith comes by hearing. And that's this new, changed, upside-down world. We don't get to heaven by our own works. We're not getting to heaven by what we do. We're not getting to heaven by going to graves and rolling away stones and, and digging up artifacts. We're not climbing our way up to heaven with our own good works. We're coming to church and we're hearing. And the foolishness of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Things have changed. So in the grave, they received good news, verse 7. So go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. In the grave, they received good news. Though they had deserted Christ, he had not deserted them. Though they were last. There's a new order of things. And grace is greater than our sins. In the tomb, you find a grace greater than your sins. We find in the tomb that Christ hasn't abandoned his own. Though they were far from God, though they neglected God, the disciples were finally in the text. Actually, they're not in the text. It's just Peter. Go tell Peter. Where's Peter? Go get Peter. He's mine. He gives them life in the tomb through the preaching of the word. For though they had forsaken Christ, he would not leave them. That's the new order of things. Christ will never leave or forsake you. Your grace, his grace is greater than your sins. The empty tomb, you must see, Christian, the empty tomb is given to us because of our weaknesses, because of our failures. Because we are dead. And the empty tomb is our life. The empty tomb is our hope. It's our salvation. And the grave is the place where the Lord once laid. 
It is the place where he has overcome. He overcame that place. And in the place of death, there's now victory. And for us who believe we have victory in Christ, we're more than conquerors. Though death is at our doorstep, though death all around, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I know how things have changed. Now in the place of fear, we have hope. And our life is now ordered contrary to the law. If you believe in Christ, your life is now ordered contrary to the law. That even though the law, and even though you haven't kept any of the commandments of God, and though you are inclined toward all evil, though you're inclined to never keep any, not one single law, God nevertheless grants to you and imputes to you the righteousness of Christ as if you've never sinned nor been a sinner but as if you have been perfectly obedient to the point of death. And yours is the gift of eternal life. And you receive that gift of God by the hand of faith. And by the hand of faith alone, you are a child of God. And you've overcome the grave. As surely as he rose again victorious from the tomb, you will raise and rise we will all rise gloriously on that last day so don't fear death live contrary to death for jesus jesus himself once laid in a tomb on your behalf he laid in a tomb on your behalf and he has forever robbed the power of death and jesus has prepared the way to god christ is risen indeed and now there's a new order of things No more sin, but you are the righteousness of God. No more death. Death is gain. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come, and with it, eternal life. Do you have time for life everlasting? There's no time like the present. Repent and believe, for now is the kingdom of God. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.